0: Ladies and gents, uh, welcome back to another podcast uh, with engineers. Uh, Today, I'm talking to Chris, who's one of the lead engineers at Multiverse, who are changing the future of work. And we're going to talk a little bit about them in the next couple of moments. But a couple of topics that, that we're going to cover are Elixir, small but vibrant community, and what Multiverse are building, Elm, Phoenix Live View. So, we've got a couple of different subjects that we're going to talk about, some of Chris's and the team's use cases, why they're using the language, how powerful it's been for them. So, in that pod, we're going to uncover some of that. Chris, how are we getting on? Yeah, good. Excited to go. It's rock and rumble. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your background and who Chris is?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, So my name is Chris Grigori, I'm a tech lead at Multiverse, uh, and I'm leading one of the two apprenticeship experience teams here. I've been here for almost four years now, so uh, getting on for uh, the length of a startup engineer. Uh, I used to work at Skyscanner, Netaporter, and Thomson Reuters over my career. It's been almost 10 years now, uh, where I've been an engineer focusing on all sorts of different programming languages and paradigms um cool. my my twitter handles uh at CodeStaring, where i tweet about elixir and building side projects in public uh, i also blog and have a newsletter with elixir tutorials uh, under the same name on substack if anyone's interested in that
0: i'm gonna have a little look i'm gonna have a little look awesome give us uh, give us a bit of an insight into multiverse and <clears> set the scene <throat> for who they are sure okay cool So Multiverse is an
1: education tech unicorn, we actually became the first UK EdTech unicorn quite recently after our Series D funding round a few months ago. Uh, And the company is on a mission to create a diverse group of future leaders by building an alternative to university and corporate training, using tech apprenticeships. And, and, you know, we, you might wonder what an apprenticeship is, right? That's often the question people have. Yeah, they're fully paid real jobs with training that leads to qualifications. And they're built on Three primary sort of principles, right? So it's um, equitable learning. So they're tuition free programs, which means that pre existing wealth isn't a barrier to anyone. Um, everyone's assessed on the same core competencies correlating to the program and the job they're actually going for, not just their exam results. Uh, it's based on applied learning. So it's based on a robust curriculum and it's tested through application in the workplace. Um, and then there's the community aspect as well, because if you If you try and rival things like universities, a big benefit of university is the community and the network that you get out of it. Um, So we have our own community that supports apprentices to help them realize their goals and provide them with professional uh,
0: opportunities to help them in their career. Cool. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about your four years and and what they've looked like at multiverse before we dive into the languages and everything sure. else all the fun stuff talk yep. to us about your four <clears> years <throat> cool so God, it seems like a while ago now uh <laughs> i
1: I, jo- I joined i think i was uh employee number 40 or so okay uh, we're crossing 700 or so now so lots of scale lots of growth in the last few years uh, a lot of my good friends that i met when i first joined have moved on now which is just part and parcel of uh, you know yeah. being in the working world um and we've now expanded to america uh we're you know we're trying to tackle different geographies and you know branch out there which has it's it has its uh, challenges you know being a originally a company that was based on a uk government backed levy scheme now we're trying to expand across the, the globe, which is challenging, but it's quite fun. There's a lot of new opportunities for that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Like, you know, the first, uh, Christmas party I attended was in a tiny little pub down the road, you know, with a few people or just, you know, buying a few rounds of drinks. Uh, and then the last party we had was, you know, taking over half of a hotel and sort of, you know, uh, it, it's a bit crazy, but
0: it's, it's exciting uh it's it's a stonking amount of funding it's a stonking valuation i I can only imagine those big plans obviously u.s difficult beast to tackle you're gonna need a lot of money as well as being a uk company trying to move over there and i guess understand u.s legislation around education (laughs) career growth everything else yeah
1: yeah it's 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 a it's an exciting time there's a lot going on uh, busy, busy days, busy periods, but still pretty exciting. Yeah.
0: Okay. Talk to us about this Elixir journey. 2016, founder, couple of engineers, you take the mic and tell me. Okay, cool.
1: So Elixir is kind of how we realize what we want Multiverse to be, right? So initially, initially we started off, you know, very small company. Uh, the founders, Ewan Blair, you know, he's, he's quite well known and, uh, you know, he, engineering, isn't his forte, right? Necessarily. I, I don't think you'll mind me saying that. <laughs> um, so, Sorry, you know, Ian. he, he <laughs> so he's hired, you know, he hired a few engineers. Uh, they built the platform in Elixir starting off because it's what they thought was best for it. And, um, it turned out to be an extremely good gamble. Like it, you know, it's, it's helped us recognize and realize so many things that we want to do with a pretty small team throughout right i mean uh for, for context i'll get onto this in a minute but elixir is built on erlang uh which is um a functional language as well that was made in the 70s okay. um it you know famously whatsapp user right okay. and uh, hmm. whatsapp famously also scaled their users to 1 billion with a team of about 50 engineers right so that that's hmm. sort of a a little hint in what it can do for you, and I'll, I'll get into why, but uh, okay. the reason we're using Elixir now and still going forward with it because we've had lots of conversations about you know do we want to change this, do we want to use something else uh and we are you know pragmatic in our choice of language and what we want to use, but essentially we we're currently multiverse the platform, right so we we handle about five thousand or so engineers. We want okay. to become a multiverse institution and handle tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of apprentices. Got you. So Elixir is kind of the key to letting us do that with a relatively small tech team. Okay. How does it help you do that? Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of reasons. Uh, you know, Partly from what I talked about with uh, its, its links with Erlang and what it's built on. Yep. It's highly performant. It's highly expressive, thanks to its syntax. It looks quite a bit like Ruby, uh, but it's got pattern matching. It's got piping. It's uh, built to be scaled and it's fault tolerant out of the box, right? So the reason, the reason it is like that is because of Erlang and Beam. So everything that happens in an an Elixir application and an Erlang application runs inside of these very lightweight threads of execution called processes. And what they do is they exchange information between each other using messages and. There's lots of things that you get with this, like, you know, there's some built in tooling and monitoring, so you can see what your process is and et cetera. But the real power comes from the fact that they all run in isolation, which means there can be garbage collected independently, which means your system runs quite uh, quietly and consistently throughout. And again, because they run in isolation and they communicate with messages, scaling is super easy. It means that you can just spin up another server, have it automatically connect to, your, to the same Erlang cluster as the previous one. And suddenly the machines can just communicate with each other with zero effort from the developer. The, the language is built to expect to scale, and it does that beautifully.
0: Okay. What kind of use cases inside of Multiverse allow Elixir to be really powerful, like mm. what you've just described? Yeah, great question.
1: So primarily we, well, at its Core, we use Elixir for um, web development. And we use a web framework called Phoenix, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, But kind of the core of what I mentioned is why it's so useful. Websites are, websites can be expected to fail, right? You'll eventually get something you didn't handle. There'll be a crash. There'll be some sort of error that your system might not expect. And because of Erlang's way of having everything in its own little process firing off, it means that if something does crash and fail you just let it crash you let it fail and the rest of your system is completely fine
0: that's pretty unique
1: yeah it's very nice it's a nice little safety net there's um there's this concept of something called supervisors which are essentially other processes that run and they essentially monitor your system and they know how to handle when things go wrong essentially by resetting it back to the default or initial state Um, and again it's all because they're all lightweight. They're all isolated processes. They're all independent. Um, and, let's, and, and along with that, there's also some great things that just come with the language of free, like the standard library. Uh, the other day, I needed to take a collection of information, uh, sort of go through it all, and then count and group the occurrences of a certain key. So, for example, it was you know uh, three different possible values, and there's a big list of it, and I wanted to count how many times it popped up. In most languages, you'd have to write a fairly complex function or do some reduction to figure that out. Uh, with Elixir, there's just a function built into the standard library called frequencies by where you give it a collection, you give it the key you want, and it'll spit out this map of here's the value, here's how many times it popped up, things like this. There's just so many little tools built in that just make your job so much easier when you're doing
0: day-to-day development. When you've been on that journey, thinking about What other languages you could use? Mm. What else have you explored and why? Yeah,
1: so we've looked at, uh, well, some people have considered Go before uh, with these sorts of things, because again, uh, it's very lightweight, message passing. It's built to be quite concurrent, quite flexible and scalable. Uh, The problems with something like Go is that it's not, well, I mean, barring the experience we had in the team, um, it's not as developer friendly to use Go. Right. In our experience anyway, you know, if you had to implement a sorting algorithm from scratch, that just takes away time that you, the engineer could be spending on actually writing a product feature or something that makes the business take along a little bit nicer rather than mm-hmm. spending time on these sorts of things. Um, and another thing, which I didn't mention is Phoenix comes with something called live view, which I'll touch upon in a bit, but yep. essentially it's a way of writing rich, real time, uh, dynamic front-end experiences using just elixir and not having to write any javascript or anything
0: like that got you okay i thought you'd say go because of the concurrency aspect and Uh, i only have some surface layer understanding of elixir and probably why it's really useful for telco companies that i've seen in the past and that whatsapp connotation makes quite a lot of sense with 50 engineers handling up to billions of mess, or a billion messages a day yeah i can kind of make that tie between the <clears> two <throat> languages so that made sense to me awesome why do you think enough companies aren't using it at the moment mm. that's a great question
1: i mean it, there could be a few reasons right i mean essentially it is a relatively new language it's not that old um, some companies are quite risk averse in the sense that they want tried and tested technology that works yeah. and they know that it works and that there's a big work pool, uh, you know, worker force available for them to yeah. pick out of. Um, but I mean, I think that problem's actually going away with Elixir. I mean, you'll see, you see more and more companies popping up now in London, in Europe, in America that are using it, yeah. uh, Discord uses Elixir, um, you know, scaling millions of users concurrently. Um, it, it's, it's going away and, you know, I think, you know, because the, the, you mentioned it earlier, the community is quite small, but it is very, you know, it's very powerful. They're very pragmatic. Everything is, you know, made easier for the benefit of the developer in a way that I haven't seen a lot of other languages do. Right. And in, in yep. the, uh, stack overflow survey from this year in 2022, Phoenix was the most loved web framework to work with, which just tells me that it's just going up and up and people are going to eventually
0: recognize how great Elixir and Phoenix are. Okay. We'll touch on why the Phoenix was loved. Um, you say that Elixir is very developer-friendly. There is a vibrant community that's growing. What does that community actually look like, being in it or contributing to it? It's brilliant. So, I mean, we, you know, the
1: the elephant in the room may be, been talking about that you know there's not that many engineers that do elixir comparatively right if you look at every other web stack and every other tech framework um which means that hiring can be a little bit difficult sometimes but that's only i think because of the fact that engineers know what they know and they know what they like and until they get a chance to experience a new language or a new tech stack they they just won't they won't have heard of it won't have tried it um that doesn't matter to us for one thing i mean when we hire engineers we don't care about uh, their background or what tech stack they use. We just care that they're capable engineers, they're willing to learn, they're coachable, they're they're friendly, and they can get the job done. So we don't care about that. But I think part of it is people uh, being a bit reluctant to change what they know. Mm. But I think when they actually do join and they do get into it, they realize how great the community is. There's, I mean, like all languages these days, there's a Slack channel where you can go and ask for help. But it's mm-hmm. the only kind of place where I've asked a question and had you know the creator of Phoenix or the creator of the language respond to me within 20 minutes. Really? Because they they just care yeah they just care so much. I've had numerous chats with uh, Chris McCord who created Phoenix and Live View and uh, Jose Valim who created Elixir. Uh, wow. Because I've, I've I've just been stuck and I've just you know I'll, I'll go on Slack, I'll ask a question and it's sometimes it's these people responding, which is pretty empowering, right? um and you know their advice is the best given they know exactly how it works (laughs) you know it's it's who you want to, to respond to you um but it just doesn't happen in other stacks and languages so so in some cases having the community be fairly small is actually a huge benefit to
0: people like me who are early adopters cool that that is pretty powerful actually um the the developer of the language coming back to you were you a little bit like looking at it like oh is that him yeah I was was a little bit I mean
1: I think the first time I saw it I was just sort of like I recognize that name somewhere but I can't quite put my finger on where and then I googled him I was like oh (laughs) crap okay yeah Yeah. that makes makes sense sense. yeah yeah we actually um we work with so Jose uh works at Dashbit which is a, a consultancy uh specializing Elixir and uh, beam and uh, we have worked with them in the past so sometimes um, I'll be able Got to just sort of send them an email and say can you help us out with this what's going
0: on uh, it's very useful very powerful love it I can imagine the the next part that we wanted to talk about was why you used elm and mm-hmm. now why you're seeing this trend moving to phoenix and live view you yeah. mentioned a couple of things in there about dynamic front ends but more to the point why you used elm Mm -hmm. and why you're moving across to Phoenix in live view would be really good to understand. Yeah, sure. So
1: I'll I'll caveat the fact that we don't really, yeah, we, as you touched on, we don't really write any Elm these days. We would more maintain it. And uh, every now and then we might add a very small amount, but we have stayed away from writing new features in that. So when we first looked at Elm, the team had a very strong understanding of functional principles and everyone liked general ethos. You know, it was small, composable code. It's easily tested. Uh, and everyone just found that easier to work with, especially when you compared it to the object-oriented model. Yeah, And some of the developers had had some bad experience with JavaScript in the past and were a bit keen to try something a little bit more in line with how they knew they liked working. So, yep. you know, we gave, uh, gave Elm a shot. You know, it was a good fit for a lot of reasons. It ran off of the model that a lot of front end developers are used to anyway. The, um, sort of the redux state action reducer pattern. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure that was actually inspired by Elm and Redox took it from that, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, but Elm has a lot of good things going for it, right? It's purely functional, it's strongly typed, uh, it's also not forgiving, which means yep. that, you know, if you, uh, you give it a type and you tell it to expect a type, you have to handle every case of your uh, application being that type or a different type. Okay. So, uh, there's some good benefits with that. The compiler is very useful and it'll tell you when you're missing a case. And it gives you a lot of peace of mind knowing that your application is prepared for runtime mostly. Um, and because of the typing, it means that you can define contracts between your server and your front end, which means we can generate types, for example, from our GraphQL data, um, API, uh, generate types and the front end knows, okay, these are my possible values I can receive from the backend. And then you have to handle all those cases in the front end, which means that having such a strong uh, coupling between them technically it lets you handle every case that can arise from your data layer which means that you're technically safe and you don't really need to handle as much testing
0: um, so engineers felt pretty safe with it okay nice i'm gonna start calling you guys the functional lovers <laughs> i think we do like it yeah <laughs> we like it so what inspired the move to mm. phoenix and live you then because all i hear is positive stuff there yeah sure oh uh, yeah yeah so
1: I mean, I personally had some issues when I first joined with the company, right? Around uh, the use of Elm, uh, if I'm being frank. So I joined having spent the last few years writing React, and you know, I felt like I knew what I was talking about with it, right? So my first instinct was, why aren't we using React, or why aren't we using Vue, or something else? And I came around, um, but I did have some issues with it. I even wrote a blog post called Elm and Why It's Not Ready for Production, or something along those lines. Um, and it hit, you know, tens of thousands of views on Medium, and I managed to piss off the entire Elm community, which is fun. <laughs> I'm
0: good um, now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so that was good. Uh, but to be clear, I did I did highlight some of the nice parts of Elm in my article. I still I still believe that Elm has some great ideas.
0: Yes. Cool. Um, there Elm and sure. White's not ready yet. That's I probably it. won't include that below. Actually, yeah, mm. sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'll stress that
1: Elm is a good idea, but um, it just wasn't fit for everything it promised to be for us, right? So the major problems were debugging was pretty difficult. Um, you couldn't install Elm packages from anywhere other than the official package repo. So um, you couldn't really do anything if the package maintainer wasn't replying, which is which was our actual experience a lot of the time. We, you know, we'd find a bug or we'd find a feature that we'd really need in an open source package. We'd raise a GitHub issue. And we noticed that, you know, no one's resp- responded to these issues in two years. So that was a bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, the docs were incomplete, you know, I was trying to implement a single page app, uh, with routing when I first tried using Elm, I think for the first ticket or so I was using with it. And yep. when I got to the part in the documentation about routing, it just said to do in big block letters. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> so I didn't really know where to go from there. Um, And also the the biggest thing that sort of annoyed me and you can read it in the article, if anyone's curious, um, is that runtime errors could happen despite the promises that they couldn't. So I remember I was handling a click event once, uh, like selecting a checkbox on an app and, uh, you know, when I clicked the box, it gave me this giant dump of undecipherable JavaScript error. And I kind of felt like I'd been lied to, like, you know, one of the things on the front page of Elm is no runtime errors. So I was just a bit like, well. You know, it's a great idea, but if it's not working every time, then it kind of to me it doesn't balance out the
0: the pros and cons of not using it over something else. Got you. So yeah. Got you. Okay. The the Phoenix and Live View part, um talking about the dynamic front ends and how powerful it can be for you. <clears throat> yeah. Do, uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the use cases and also do, do you think that it is competition for JavaScript further down the line, and, and why? Awesome. Yeah, cool. So I can talk about that stuff for days. I love it. Uh, so Phoenix, uh,
1: to you know, to start from, is heavily inspired from the simplicity and the MVC architecture from Ruby on Rails. It's, it's yeah. very similar. That you know, you find similar file structure and how things work in that. But the added benefit is that it's built in Elixir instead, which means it's just faster, it's more scalable, it's more expressive. Uh, it's just sort of easier to use in my experience. Um, and then the massive benefit that they added recently about three years ago was the inclusion of LiveView. And what LiveView does is it lets you write dynamic front-end uh, code, or rather dynamic front-end experiences that are backed by the server. So essentially, mm. when a client accesses a LiveView page, they're connected to the backend via WebSocket and all of the state of that page lives on the server and is connected between so whenever an update happens what happens is a very small diff of what's changed on the page or what's changed in the data model is fired back and forth between the websocket and then the page just updates to reflect what's changed so it's declarative in the same way that react is but it's all back from the server not much happens on the client itself um and this is very powerful for a bunch of reasons right um, updates are extremely quick, thanks to the diffing algorithm and the tiny payloads that sent back and forth. I'm talking, you know, bytes, right, back and forth. Um, it's also one of the best developer experience I've used because it eliminates context switching between stacks and languages. You, you're writing everything in Elixir. So everything I mentioned before about how powerful and useful it is with the standard library and the scaling, the message passing, you get all of that for free and you don't have to think about, can I use this or can I use that? You just, you can, because effectively you're still just writing Elixir. And there's this whole abstraction layer that you don't even have to look at, which just handles everything else for you, right? Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. And also means that you don't need to maintain a data layer. So in every other application I've written where I'd have to, you know, I need a backend and then I build a front end in React and then I need them to talk to each other. I need to write a REST API or a GraphQL API or, or something, right? With this, you don't have to do that because from your Elixir live view code, you can just call back functions. You can talk to the database directly because everything is just happening on the server. And then the message is passed down through to the front end. Got so it's, it's incredibly freeing. It means you don't have to write you know, a massive part of every application that you would normally have to write and
0: maintain and test and uh, check for security. It just does it all for you. Uh, could this competition element come into play then with JavaScript or... Are they two different subjects because you're deriving everything from Elixir, essentially, if you're using Phoenix and LiveView, and does it segregate from JavaScript and other backend environments, if you like? Yeah. So,
1: I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, uh, React and JavaScript and View, you know, spell they all all have their purposes, right? And I'm not saying that you should use LiveView in every single case, right? Because that's just not pragmatic. The they can, you can use live view instead of these things where it makes sense. So, so a big, um, a big problem maybe, or the, the big negative of live view is because it's connected to the backend, you need to have a connection, which means if you go offline, nothing will work. Right. Um, and as far as I know, they haven't really sorted that problem out yet. I'm not sure if it's something they even want to necessarily based on the use cases, but and also live view is using javascript it's just doing it for you so you don't have to write any yourself but it will take care of that as part of the framework which is really nice the um the other thing is sometimes you will need a little bit of javascript right like for example if you have some say you have a front end and you want to press a button to pop open a box or like toggle a, an element to be shown or hidden um you know you could do that with live view you know you could send a message back that toggles a boolean to then show or hide it and i'll update and that will definitely work but you probably shouldn't right you can just write some very very small javascript that does that for you you can there's an hour a javascript live view module that lets you do that for you so you don't even have to specify again you don't have to write any javascript code uh but there's also something called alpine which is a very very lightweight uh javascript framework that you can throw in and it works very nicely with LiveView because of the fact that Liveview doesn't resp- um rely on a shadow dom and neither does alpine so when the dom changes from one way or the other both sides are still happy with it so it i do think that you can use liveview instead of react in a lot of use cases lots of them i mean nowadays in my experience people are writing react uh, front ends for things that don't need to be react right you can just write some html and some css and you'll get exactly what you need a lot of the time you don't need these features and i know that there's a developer experience that comes with it and there's you know a lot of power in the community and and don't get me wrong i love react i'm a big fan of it but
0: i just think that live view fits the bill a lot more often than it doesn't what use cases are you using it for in multiverse like talk to me about one or two of those yeah sure so we've got uh numerous things we
1: have uh, lots of admin panels that are based on uh live information that updates so for example if uh, you toggle something you want it to update in real time we have that. Um, but you can also use the inbuilt, again, talking about messages of Alexa, we have a pub subsystem that's built into the language itself. You don't have to import anything or use anything. It just exists there for you to use, which means you can create live updating features across the board. So one thing that we're about to replace actually is uh, a, a job applications um, sort of workflow that we have. So if you imagine like a Trello board with multiple columns of cards that move across each other. So we built that in Elm originally using GraphQL and subscriptions, but we can easily port that over to live view so that when you pick up a, a card and you drag it over, it'll ping out a message to everyone else, live update them. Uh, and it all just works. And it's all an Elixir. There so are things like this. Um, I mean, aside from, sorry, aside from multiverse as well, like I've, I've recently built a a game, like a, a Wordle-esque typing game, right, where you know, it counts up the amount of time, like the time that's running. You type in a letter, it keeps your score, things like this. These are all things that Lively lets you do without having
0: to reach for JavaScript or sockets or anything like that. Nice. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about hiring then for, for Multiverse, because um, we spoke a little bit about this earlier on, but offline and... Uh it has been a challenge, obviously attracting people um, to a very different environment. Help us understand a little bit about what the interview process would look like for people who are interested based on what you're talking about. Because honestly, there does sound like there's some really interesting challenges with that or that you're trying to solve at multiverse using cool bits of tech but help us understand what people need to do uh, in order to to join you guys and girls. Awesome.
1: So uh, there's four stages to our interview process, one thing, and uh, we are heavily hiring. So if you're a designer, if you're an engineer, if you're a product manager, uh, US, uh, UX researcher, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, a huge boon, if you're joining as an engineer, you don't need any Elixir a uh, background or even to have heard of the language, really. I mean, it'll probably help your chances, but it's not a requirement by any means whatsoever. Mo- I mean, myself, I had no Elixir uh, background when I first joined the company. Um, over, I'd say 70% of the people that join us don't have any Elixir background. Um, uh, yeah, we join. we have a pretty robust um, upskilling process as well. There's uh, a budget that everyone gets to spend a year, it's a thousand pounds a year that you can spend on upskilling and courses and training, which we do. We've also built our own uh, training resources using some of the things that Elixir and LiveU give us. So there's this fairly new thing called LiveBook, which is uh, essentially a way of running code in the browser. And in real time, you can evaluate your code as you go and you can see the results next to you. We've used that for upskilling uh, in Elixir. We've built our own live book modules that let people uh, play with the language, uh, answer questions about it, and uh, it just teaches you. So we've built that ourselves. Um, the process involves a screening call with someone in HR just to make sure that, you know, you you seem passionate about what we do. Um, you Your background makes sense, at least in the areas that we need. Then you'll have uh, a talk with someone from the engineering team, usually two people just to uh, get us to understand a bit more about what you're about, uh, some of your experiences that you've had, why you want to work for Multiverse and things like that. There's a tech home, uh, take-home tech task, which is expected to be done in two or three hours. And after that, we'll review it and make sure that, um, you know, you understood the problem, everything has been handled correctly, and we'll just sort of evaluate how that went. And from then on, we have two more calls, one with uh, a leader of the engineering team, just to get an idea for fit in the team. And then you'll usually have a brief uh, chat with a founder as well, just to um, let them understand a little bit more about why you want to join the company and just to make sure that it's a good fit. But the, the main things that we care about are, you know, that you're passionate, that you are, you know, a, a good person to work with. You're, you know, not a, de- not a defensive character by nature, that, you know, if you get challenged on something, you're not going to shut down. and. You know, react. Um, These are the main things we care about. We just want you to be a good person. We want you to care about what we're doing. It's an important mission, and um, other than that, anyone is free to apply,
0: and I encourage people to do so. Yeah, it it really is uh, an unbelievable social mission. That's that's what attracted me to to come and talk to you guys. You know, in the first instance, has taken us a little bit of time to get here. Um, But we're here and you are solving some really interesting problems with tech that isn't, let's just call, widely used in the industry just yet. But there's a booming, vibrant community that really cares about the languages. And I can see it going places. I'm starting to see a lot more companies like yourself use the language. And you've obviously given us reasons why it, it really is being used. So for, for people listening, we've got some of Chris's probably more positive blogs um, below in the description for, for you to have a look at. Like he said, he's big in the community. So he's going to share a little bit more um, content for you to take a look at to supplement this. Chris, I want to say a big thanks for for coming to join us. Talk to us a little bit more about Multiverse, but of course, Elixir, why you used Elm, and, and that move to Phoenix and Liveview. So a big thanks, mate, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been, been very fun. Good man. And for everyone else listening, like, share, subscribe, check out Multiverse, go and apply, talk to Chris, look at his content, and we'll see you all soon. Thanks a lot. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.